back. Having joined us to reflect upon his career to date in episode 34, Edgar Wright returns to concentrate on his latest project, Baby Driver, which has received widespread critical acclaim as it wows cinema goers around the world. The film tells the story of a young getaway driver, Baby, who uses music to calm his nerves in the face of chronic tinnitus. As such, he's listening to his iPod throughout much of the narrative. It's an audacious premise which, while posing technical challenges, also gave Edgar the opportunity to share a wealth of sonic gems from his record collection. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast about screen music with actors, writers, composers and directors. With 35 tunes in Baby Driver, there's certainly plenty to discuss with Edgar. From the specific John Spencer track that inspired the movie 20 years ago to the structural delights of Barry White, Queen and Focus. It also features a personal favourite of mine which seems as good a place to start as any. You said to me you needed two parts because the second part of our chat, there was so much to talk about, and good God, you weren't joking. <laughs> uh, congratulations thank on Baby you. Driver. It's phenomenal. Oh, thank you so much. I read that someone said that you've reinvented the musical, and I kind of agree. But it's a funny one, that, because always when people say, is, would you call it a musical, I always like to stop short because... Make you shiver? Well, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm a big musicals fan, but, you know, your average kind of dude who likes kind of car movies, when they hear the word musical, might think it's like Mamma Mia or something. No, but I think Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, yeah. So, you know... Yeah, no, 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 Blues Brothers is a good, a good example. I mean, I, when I first pitched it, I said that it was a car movie driven by music. Yeah. That was basically the pitch. So I made sure that everybody knew that the music was integral, but it wasn't something where people are going to sing out loud. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Especially well, to young MC. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Every time. Some of the busiest rhymes ever made by man are going into this mic written by this hand. Are coming out of this mouth made by this tongue. I tell you now, my man, my name is Young. But so you think that this your destiny to get the best of me. But I suggest to be quiet, but don't even try it from the east and west of me. Taking it and never breaking it or even shaking it. Grooving it and always moving it because I'm not faking it. Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf. Born in England, made a holler, start to go for myself. This is stone cold rhyming, no frills, no fluffs, and it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough. I'm going off, baby, there's no turning back. I'm on your TV, on your album cassette, and they track. And when the show is finally finished, I'll be taking my bath. My name is Young, and yo, I got no how. You know what I'm saying? Like this. I've seen it twice and I still can't work out how you, I'm like, how did you do it? In terms of the kind of physicality of it, of, I mean, that opening scene is, is phenomenal and you just, you feel like you're catapulted in this incredible world. There's just this constant beat and rhythm to the whole film. Yeah, I mean, that was always the idea. I think maybe when I first sort of conceived of it, I maybe wanted it to be even more like that, where it was like, there's hardly any dialogue or anything. But, you know, I think when you do a, a script with no dialogue, the studios start to get nervous, <laughs> which is weird, because, like, you know, people don't remember, like, Good, the Band, the Ugly, or stuff like that. Baby, your call. Time to make a big boy decision. Do we do this thing or not? Yeah, you know, the answer to how I did it, the short answer is, 
thinking about it for a long time and prepping it for a long time. I'll do the shortest version of the timeline. <laughs> it's like, so I'll go backwards, in fact. So I finished it like in February. I started working on it full time three years ago. So it was like three years ago, like May 2014 was like, right, Baby Driver is next. The first draft of the script I finished in like September 2011, just before I started doing The World's End. Wow. So I delivered the script in 2011. I took the advance of the script in 2007. <laughs> so in that time, I basically made Scott Pilgrim and was working on other movies as well. But I started to, if not write the script, I was just getting research together, which included not only interviewing ex-cons, but also, crucially with the music, I started to break down some of the tracks that I wanted. Initially, I had the ideas for like eight of those tracks. And there was two things that I did is that I, I got now an Oscar winner, but then a music editor back in 2007, Stephen Price, who's actually the composer on this film as well. Yeah. Not that there's that much score. It's probably only about 20 minutes of score. Basically, he helped me break down the songs. So in, in the scripts, I could break down the sort of structure of the songs and mention what was happening. And I didn't read music, so I needed him to help me. The other person who helped me uh, is this British DJ called Ozzy Misu, Mark Nicholson. And he's really good at doing these kind of audio mashups and stuff, similar to what Baby makes in the movie. And he actually made mixes with me where we put all the sound effects into the songs. Like actors read the script, they not only heard the songs, but they heard songs with sound effects mixed in. So all the things like bell bottoms and tequila and Brighton Rock all had like car noises and gunfire like mixed into the track. So people could really get their heads around. Oh, I see. This is like an immersive experience. Tequila. Going even further back, in 2002, <laughs> I'd already had the idea for the movie and I did a sort of dry run for it in a video for Mint Royale for a song called Blue Song and the video starred Noel Fielding, Michael Smiley, Julian Barrett and Nick Frost. It was post-spaced and pre-Shaun of the Dead. And basically it was just sort of a version of the opening scene but without the car chase, just like him sitting outside the bank. I was happy with the video, but I was kind of mad at myself. I felt like I'd squandered the idea. But that didn't really turn out to be the case. If anything, it ended up being a proof of concept.
then the final part of this, I don't know why I'm going backwards, I said forwards, is in <laughs> 1995, when I first moved to London, I was living in Wood Green, and in my bedroom in this kind of house I was sharing with my school and college friends, I was listening a lot to the John Spencer Blues Explosion album Orange, and particularly the opening track Bell Bottoms. <laughs> I used to listen to that track, I used to visualize a car chase. I didn't know what the rest of the story was yet. But then whenever I'd hear that track, I'd visualize this car chase. And then that sort of gave me the idea. I said, oh, what if the guy driving the car is playing the track? What if he's actually sort of, that's the point of it, is actually he's playing it in the car. Or iPods and stuff, so I probably would have thought that you'd be using the cassette, cassette player thing, yeah. or a CD player or something. Doing that kind of noise when you kind of just half pressed in the rewind. Oh, yeah, yeah. That noise it would make. Yeah, when you really make it like. go a little faster. Yeah. Or, or you do suddenly the auto reverse and kind of flip to the other side for no reason. Just for the sheer hell of it of going, what's it going to land on? Exactly. <laughs> so it's true to say that the entire film was somewhat inspired by music, and even like one song started the whole thing off. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, I got to tell you about the fabulous, most groovy Bell Bottoms. Bell Bottoms. Damn! even start shooting I guess you had to be very firm about the music that you wanted to use the tracks and get that clearance for that from doing this and knowing how difficult that can sometimes be and imagining that I mean maybe you did get all your choices or you you know there was compromises here there and, and whatever but there's what 35 35 songs in songs the, in within the film. film I think in the first draft of the script there were like maybe like 27 <laughs> I don't know quite where the other seven came from, but like um, <laughs> I wrote all the songs into the script and I'd say that 95% of those songs are still in the movie. The things that did drop out is I had maybe like two or three dance songs or hip hop songs that were just unclearable because mm -hmm. they had samples in them that they might be able to release it Belong on record. But the thing is, if you put a song where you haven't cleared your samples in like a Sony movie, you are asking to get sued, <laughs> you know? So like, so some of these yeah. artists, I probably shouldn't mention who they are, because I don't want to make them liable for anything. But in a couple of cases with some songs by dance artists or hip-hop artists, I thought, oh, I like the bit. So in a couple of cases, I went on to whosampled.com, which is amazing. Have you ever used that website? No, but oh, it's, straight it's on it. amazing. It's really good. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing database of like every kind of dance or hip-hop song you've 
heard and where the original sample comes from. So I looked up this song that I couldn't clear and lo and behold there's the original sample and it's Alexis Corner early in the morning so I was thinking okay well let's just use that instead. like basically the same music but a different vibe because one of them was like a dance track and then now it's like the original jazz track so I sort of did that and then the other thing that was like a, a, a bit of a theme throughout is I, I keep using songs that have been heavily sampled elsewhere so to kind of slightly wrong foot the audience like yeah. you hear you hear the start of Harlem Shuffle And a lot of people think it's going to be a house of pain jump around. <laughs> so they all know that. Bah, 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 bah. And then half the audience is expecting Harlem Shuffle to come on, and the other <laughs> half expecting to go, ah, Everlast to start rapping. You move it to the left, yeah, then you go for yourself. You move it to the right, yeah, if it takes all. Some other ones like that, like there's a song by the Detroit Emeralds called Baby Let Me Take You, with the intro of which is in Say No Go by Della Soul. famous is like what most people know from the Dr. Dre the next episode is actually um, 
a track by David Axelrod and David McCallum. Yeah, but David McCallum, Ilya Kuryakin from The Man From U.N.C.L.E., the actor. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. He In the 60s, he was a sort of a son of a conductor, and he released a bunch of, like, jazz albums. David Axelrod, I think, sort of maybe making the music and David McCallum arranging them. They're, like, instrumental albums. He doesn't sing on them. But it's very strange. There's, like, two or three of them. They're real <laughs> ones for crate diggers, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that thing. I remember when we were, like... I remember when we were, I was playing the cast, some of the... Um, Songs and when that one came up, the edge people were going, This is not Dr. Dre. I said, Dr. Dre did not write this bit. Oh, <laughs> teaching That's Jamie Foxx certain things about <laughs> music as well. Well, Jamie's got a pretty encyclopedic yeah. knowledge. I don't think he knew it was David McCallum, though. decisions on the tracks all personal choices a bit of everything I mean I get they are all personal picks in terms of I didn't put any songs in there I didn't love because when you're making a movie over the course of 10 years you don't want to get sick of them in fact there was one song that I got slightly sick of in the edit and when we did some pickups some reshoots I changed the first like 30 seconds of the scene so I could put a different song in <laughs> I redid it because I sort of got tired of the song and we were going to cut the scene down a little bit and it, and it didn't work with that song cutting it down so I completely swapped it out and even though it's a song that I like I thought now I've heard it 30 times I don't really want to hear it 31st time The other songs are all like, sometimes they're thematic in terms of they're literally saying what's happening on screen. Especially because the character's name is Baby. You've got a million options. Nowhere to run to, Baby. When something is wrong with my baby. When something is wrong with my baby. Something is wrong with me. Misery. 
And then other ones are like the sort of contrasting with what's happening. So like having a big gunfight to tequila is like counter scoring. And then some of them are like the set piece songs, songs I'd hear them and thinking, oh, why isn't that a car chase in a movie? <laughs> and so that would be like Bell Bottoms, The Damned Song, Neat, Neat, Neat. Yeah. Hocus Pocus by Focus. I love that song. It's great. <laughs> love it. with that is another reason for using that like somebody said to me the other day he said oh my do you know my eight year old loves it he just goes what is this I know it's such an amazing song also <laughs> it was like a top 10 hit in the US in the day somebody said to me on Twitter the other day that I must have uh, must be a Saxondale fan because I think that was the end credit music for that and I was like oh no it was from Old Grey Whistle Test because when they used to repeat Old Grey Whistle Test and then there's that DVD that came out maybe in like 2000 the best clip on that DVD is Focus playing Hocus Pocus mental to see them doing it live because one of those things that on record you think is this something entirely created in the studio and it isn't at all they do the whole thing live and it's got the yodeling break and also you know I'm not enough of a prog head to know that I should know the name of the lead singer but seeing him kind of do his kind of keyboard sort of like rocking out on the keyboard and then doing his yodeling solo <laughs> On Whistle Test in 1972. The other thing about that song, something that kind of is a theme throughout all of the songs, or, or something about them in terms of their structure, is that they're all, yeah, they're all got dramatic structures. Mm. And that makes it interesting for action sequences. So Bell Bottoms has a long intro and then sort of like kicks in at the sort of two and a half minute mark. Barry White has a really long intro before it kicks in. And also the intro is kind of slightly spooky and it sounds like a Dirty Harry score. Whenever the Barry White song starts, you're the start of it with that big string build up is like, oh, this kind of sounds somewhat sinister for what's about to turn into a sex jam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, baby, 
Focus, Hocus Pocus has also got that stop-start structure where it's like fast guitars, fast guitars, fast guitars, yo- yodeling, yeah. and then fast guitars, fast yeah. guitars, and then an accordion breakdown. <laughs> so then literally when I was writing those scenes, I'd know what the basic, what I wanted to do is like, this is a foot chase. But then I would literally write it like, he's running, he's running, he's running, he's hiding behind a tree. He's running, he's running, he's running. He's in a mall, he's hiding in a clothes shop. <laughs> he's running, he's running, he's running. Now he's in a car park, he's breaking into a car. So I actually plotted out, and this is where I needed Steve Price's breakdowns. He had like the sort of the breakdown of like not just verse chorus, but you know the timings yeah. and everything. So I kind of knew like, okay, this is like 30 seconds of screen time. This is 10 seconds of screen time. Brighton Rock is another one. Is that the Queen song? Is that song is more famous to Queen fans because it's not a single. It's one of the album tracks from Sheer Heart Attack, but it is really famous for such an amazing like Brian May guitar solo. Mm. So just that solo itself and like sort of a solid, you know, like 90 seconds of the um, of the song, maybe two minutes of the song is the solo. Mm. It just seemed like that's a, such an obvious like car chase bit. Car chases. Yes. Oh, yes. Easy thing to achieve. Well, it's just a car chases. I knew it was going to be tough going in because I'd done bits of car stuff Mm -hmm. in Sean and Hot Fuzz and The World's End. All got car bits in them. Like Hot Fuzz has even got a very sort of brief car chase. It's like the main freeway in Atlanta and stuff. One of them was on. Yeah, it is. The opening sequence is on the I-85, which is the main thoroughfare in Atlanta. And then the second car chase is on a connecting road on a real freeway. The first one, we can't shut it down. I mean, I think we're the first people to shoot on it doing an action sequence, but basically you can do a thing which is called the bubble, which is basically you've got this police motorcade that is like a mile and a half wide. And then in the middle of it is your stunt cars and your camera cars and then also your actors. So we also shot all those shots with the actors on the freeway as well. I mean, it's so exciting and intense because, you know, there's a certain point, especially like the the bit that we had to do is that Ansel, who plays Baby, is driving down the off-ramp and then he does a 180 to kind of start chasing the traffic going the right way. And he's also chasing these red cars. He sees some other red cars, so he like does a 180 and starts to chase them to blend in. So there's just a sort of a, a timing which is down to the sort of like the stunt drivers where it's like you have to drive down this ramp and you have to pull a 180 after these red cars have gone past. So it's just, I don't know how to describe it other than at a certain point. Precision? It's just the precision thing, but it's also everybody pays attention because you realise that if we don't nail this now, it's going to take us like 35 minutes to set this all up again. Because if you're shooting on the freeway, you might get like sort of three solid minutes of shooting on the freeway itself. But then the resetting and going back around is like 35 minutes. And then you've got to go in normal traffic and everybody's got to like schlep all the way back to number one, which is seven miles away. (laughs) So that's really tough. It was very stressful, but at a certain point there was only so much you could do. 
it's that thing like even with a bigger budget movie there's sort of things that you just cannot change is like sort of you can't stop the sun going down you can't stop the sun coming up and also you know if you're shooting on a freeway and the police say that you have to leave at 2 p.m that's it it's not like they're going to accept a bribe for you to stay another hour. It's like, yeah. no, you guys have got to go. We only had one day on the freeway, but we had to go back, and we were lucky that we something had gone wrong. We had an insurance claim, so we got to do it all over again, which was amazing, because then it was like, got back on the freeway, and this time I'd seen the scene cut together, and I could show it to the actors and say, okay, this is what we got so far, and here's how it can be improved. So it's very sort of intense, and it's amazing for the actors, because the actors just have to sort of stay in that mode of intensity mm. all the way through all of the freeway yeah. shooting, you know? said that there's about 20 minutes worth of score from Stephen but there was one bit in my notes where I, I was trying to write down stuff whilst I was watching the first time around was when he calls the diner and the music for me is it reminded me of in Flash Gordon oh. you know when Ming the Merciless yeah. with the ring and he's kind of almost using the ring as a sort of yeah. hypnotic kind of it's really reminded me of well, that well what's funny about that, that that track is in Scott Pilgrim is it? yeah like the, the, the ring sound like I think it's called like hypnotic uh, seduction of Dale I think that's <laughs> what that track is called yeah But that track that you're referring to is Steve Miller. And what's funny is some American journalists who kind of like Steve Miller maybe bigger over in the States said, oh, I, I love you use that Steve Miller track because that is an album track. It's like a sort of a synthy sort of sound okay. leading up to the start of Jet Airliner. And I used to have Jet Airliner in the movie and then I swapped it around to like a hip hop track by Handsome Boy Modeling School. Because that song is called Threshold, the one that you're referring to, that sounds a bit like Flash Gordon. And they say, why didn't you go into Jet Airline? I said, I did have it in there originally, and then I felt like mixing it up. And I said as well, have you ever put your entire like iTunes on shuffle? If you put your entire library on shuffle, you get some of the most random segues from yeah. song to song. And I thought that's exactly that kind of moment where so something is building up, and then it like, goes into a hip-hop track. And it's just sort of so, so mismatched, it totally works. But yeah, that one you're referring to is Steve Miller. I love that piece of music. Did you have to play music on set? But yeah, basically, 
I mean, it's funny, like, I've been doing lots of interviews, and one thing that starts to irk me, and I, I feel bad contesting it because the movie is brilliantly edited by my yeah. editors, Paul Matchless and John Amos. But one thing people keep saying, which I have to correct them, is they say, and the way it's all edited to the music is amazing. And I'm going, well, it's not edited no. to the music. Some of it is. But the truth of it is, is that we had choreographed the action to the music. All of the music was clear before we started shooting, which meant that we could rehearse with the actors and the stunt people and the choreographer the scenes with the music it's partly me it's partly the stunt coordinator but it's mainly in terms of the movement stuff yeah this amazing choreographer called ryan hefferton you probably know his work from sears chandelier video so he's the choreographer oh, wow. from that and also i don't know if you saw that spike jones did that kenzo short did you see that no oh it's really worth watching it's like a dance piece it's fantastic oh, wow. anyway that guy was the choreographer so basically on the shoot we do it every different way possible so sometimes if it was a scene with no dialogue you'd actually have speakers like booming the track out but if it was a scene with dialogue Ansel would have it in his ears now sometimes you can wear an earwig which is when you've got just a little yeah. transmitter in there don't like them at all no <laughs> most of the actors didn't like them <laughs> Ansel for a lot of the movie is wearing headphones so in those cases he yeah. could just wear his real headphones just plugged into like playback pack yeah. in his pocket shut up let's Talk it. The target is an armored truck, the perimeter trust. 10 a.m. sharp. Bank is right next to Switch card, baby. Hit the long state parking structure. Start in the a.m. Questions. I got a question, Doc. Why would I believe phones over here heard a goddamn word you said? He ain't even listening. Baby. The target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust in Dunwoody, 10 a.m. sharp. The switch car is ready, but you want me to hit the long state parking structure and get a high vehicle that stays colder longer? It needs to be ready for an 8.30 start. Questions? So this would, be, it would either be playing out loud or people would have it in their ears. And then I would have it in my ears as well. And then sometimes the steady cam operator would have it in his ears as well. People, if other people needed to hear it, like the grip or the camera operator. And then the only times when we couldn't use the music and we had to rely on counts was when it was really noisy. And that would be any other gunfire sequences. So there's like three bits in the movie where the gunfire is in time with the music. And basically we rehearsed it with the music, with actors literally going bang, ba bang, bang. But basically you had to train the actors to remember their parts of the song. So saying like Hocus Pocus, so John Hamm has learnt this particular rhythm. So he would come out and you know, he'd say to John, so John, you come up with your rifle and you go bang, 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 bang. And then John's like, yeah, got it. Bang, 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 bang. Bang, 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 bang. And then you do it with a with the actual blanks firing. And then the choreographer's kind, five, six, seven, eight. You know, like and it's just like because I think people watch it and, they, and they're not entirely sure what they're seeing. Because I think there's a lot of people, because they, they imagine the way that trailers are done. It's like, oh, that's clever. Yeah. They edited the footage to yeah. the gunfire. But if you actually look at it, it's like so the much shots are, to it. That's such, why... The shots are longer because it's actually happening.
hear you doubled your album unit doubled, but you increased your vinyl collection as well by the end of the yeah. shoot as well. <laughs> I was editing... Good work, by the way, that's a good... I know, I was editing <laughs> on Berners Street, and I was living in an apartment on Berners Street as well. It was too nice to be a flat, it was an apartment. <laughs> I feel weird calling it a flat. But at the other end of the street was like sort of Wardour Street and then Berwick Street. So basically, like, I think over the course of the edit, which was like seven months, I must have quadrupled my vinyl collection. I just kept going into like Sister, Sister Ray. Ray and Reckless Records and just like buying new stuff but mostly buying my favourite albums on vinyl and the other thing actually the, you, the, the you one took props I, yeah I did I took Baby's record collection Because I sort of said to the art director, oh, maybe it'd be cool if we got every album that's featured in the film so we can have them around. Because if you look in a lot of scenes, you can kind of see the albums which the songs are from. And then there's one scene later on in the movie where his apartment is trashed. And um, I put all of the albums that are in the movie on the floor. Anyway, but this art director had sourced all of these albums, some of which I thought I was looking like a seven inch of Neat 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 by the Damned. And I was thinking, oh, I want it. So at the end of the shoot, I said to the line producer, I said, can I just take all of the albums? And he says, well, you have to look after them like in case we need to do a reshoot and I said why wouldn't I look after them <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what do you think I'm going to do with them it's just like unbelievable like, start throwing them as zombies in the garden it's not going to happen <laughs> as well I mean I didn't really know much about him yeah I mean it's I think it's a perfect thing I'm for like, him yeah. like I'd seen him in a couple of like YA films as they call them but this is a really sort of different chance for him to sort of break out of that mould and it really works within the movie because Ansel was genuinely 21 when we were shooting <laughs> this young actor surrounded by all these heavyweights. It's very similar to the movie itself. Yeah. It's a movie about a young professional in an established organisation and you know his mere presence winds quite a few of them up. So they're all kind of looking to sort of somehow like compromise him and sort of take him down a peg or two. Mm. I mean and, and sometimes he does he's not saying anything. Just by the sheer fact that he's sitting there saying nothing like starts to kind of like get John Bernthal's goat. <laughs> so it worked really well, you know, having this amazing cast of heavyweights around him like John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, John Burnfall, terrorising Anson in different ways. My dad was a son 
The other thing that was interesting, and, and not completely coincidental, but so many of the um, actors have a musical background as well. Mm -hmm. So Ansel does, he makes music. Jamie obviously has a recording yeah. career. Aza Gonzalez was a pop star in Mexico. Lily oh. James sings. And then in the John? John, John, Hamm, John Hamm's Kyle musical Kyle chops Kyle. are like, are in question. So John Hamm is the one I'd leave off, the, off there. And he would say the same himself. But then in the supporting cast, lots of musicians. Because I always liked it in movies by people like John Landis and Jonathan Demme, where they would cast musicians in supporting parts. John Spencer is in the movie. Where? Well, to, oh, to say where he thing. is would okay, give away okay. the ending of the movie. He has the last line on camera, that's what I'll say. Because John Spencer is the first track in the movie with bell bottoms, and he literally has the last on-screen line in the movie. Oh, it bookends the whole It bookends film. the whole thing. And so, he's the reason for the film, really, I know. as well. But he still hasn't yeah. seen it yet, actually. I think really? he's coming to see it on Monday. He hasn't seen it yet, but he's coming on Monday to see it. But I think when he shot his scene, he was quite overawed by the whole thing. But also in there is Flea is in the movie. Yeah. Playing one of the bank robbers, Eddie No-No's. Paul Williams is in the movie. Singer-songwriter Paul Williams. You're looking confused, but I I'm going to reel off his credits and you're going to go, oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. He is the composer of songs like We've Only Just Begun by The Carpenters, uh, Rainy Days and Mondays by The Carpenters, oh my. Fill My Heart by David Bowie, also Evergreen by Barbara Streisand, no which, way. She won, which she won an Oscar for. Which I sung in my old grade music. So he, he's the third Oscar winner in the movie. It was like Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey and Paul Williams. There's more, and this is going to blow your mind out. He wrote the entire score of Bugsy Malone. No he also way. wrote the entire score of Phantom of the Paradise. He also wrote the score of the Muppet movie, including Rainbow connection. There's a great documentary on Netflix about him called Paul Williams is Still Alive because he was a real um, ubiquitous character actor in the sort of 70s. Like he's in Smokey and the Bandit, he's in Phantom of the Paradise, he's in the Planet of the Apes movies. But then in the sort of 80s and early 90s he had m big problems with like booze and drugs. Yeah. But then he got himself clean and then, now, get this, and now, currently now, he is the president of ASCAP, which is the musician's publishing union, yeah. right? He was also on the Daft Punk album, Random Excess Memories. He co-wrote two of the tracks. So you know the track on Daft Punk called Touch? Yeah. That is Paul Williams singing. And because Daft Punk, are ma like me, are massive fans of Phantom of the Paradise. Touch, I remember touch. Pictures came with touch. A painter in my mind Tell me what you see A tourist in a dream A visitor it seems A half-forgotten song Where do I belong? Tell me what you see I need something more Suddenly alive, happiness arrive, hunger like a storm. How do I begin? A room within a room, a door behind a door. Touch, where do you lead? I need something more. Tell me what you see, I need something more. So when Daft Punk won the Grammy for Album of the Year, because they're the, ro the robots and they don't talk, 
accepting the award for them was Pharrell Williams and Paul Williams, which is like a funny joke to have, yeah. like, and accepting the award Pharrell Williams and Paul Williams. So that is Paul Williams. So what's funny on the set is that there'd be sort of like, on one hand, people are like, Jamie Foxx, when I said, do you know who Paul Williams is? Jamie went, singer-songwriter Paul Williams? And immediately started singing Rainbow Connection. And so, and then other people like, not many people on the uh, the Atlanta set really know Bugsy Malone that well. But Shit. all of the stunt dudes were all like, that's, that's the guy, Little Enos from Smokey and the Bandit. They thought at first it was somebody who looked like him. I said, no, that's Paul Williams. So Paul Williams is like the man, the man who wrote, so you want to be a boxer and you give a little love. love. I know. I, I, I said It feels this. like that's how we should end this program oh. with a little bit of... Well, you know, I've love. always said not to get morbid, Edith, and I don't want this to be the last time we speak. But I've We've always said that, like... to do, Edgar, I've point. always said that, like, I, I think you give a little love would be the song I want played at my funeral. And I told this to Paul the other day, but then I made an addendum to it. I said... I don't have to be, you have to play You Give a Little Love at My Funeral, but it has to be followed by a pie fight. <laughs> It'd be great to have a pie fight. Pie fight at a funeral would be pretty good. I feel that's a really bad way to end. <laughs> but you've got you to go on that Bugsy Malone okay. song. How can you not? Okay. You give a little love. Congratulations. I, I, really, I don't know what, what the next plans are and stuff, but I heard Ansel in, a, in an interview say the words, when we do the next one. <laughs> and well, that just is, really that is, made me hope there is going to be That's up to the audience. So if you want to see a second one, go out and see it. <laughs> oh, Edgar, thank you so much, mate. Cheers. Thank, thank you, you for having me. We could have been anything that we wanted to be. And it's not too late to change. To give it some thought Maybe you'll agree We're really on to bring We could have been anything That we wanted to be Yes, that decision is ours It's been decided Give a Little Love by Paul Williams, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Edgar Wright. Huge thanks to Edgar for joining us a second time around. I do hope part three happens at some point in the future. Baby Driver is on general release around the world now. It is phenomenal. With the soundtrack available via 30th Century Records, we also owe a special debt of gratitude to Edgar's composer and music supervisor Stephen Price, who sent us through extracts of his score for the film. You can link to a full Spotify playlist for this show at edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous shows. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Next up is a bit of a dream come true for me as one of my cinematic idols, Sofia Coppola, joins us to discuss her new film, The Beguiled. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.